A couple of things that uh, really impressed me in your sharing, I'd like to uh, just uh, confirm. One is uh, uh, the matter of uh, Philadelphia being many uh, unknown, you know, a lot of unknown saints versus Sardis with a few big, big, uh, you know, guys. Uh, this is really. Uh, not only the truth, but in the epistle to Philadelphia, as we'll see in our next outing, uh, this is where the Lord says, you know, uh, that you have a little strength. This little strength uh, absolutely implies that they are not a giant. All of these giants had a lot of strength, even God-given strength. Okay, I don't mean they just natural. But see, Philadelphia is the bride and it is the manifestation, the, the consummate manifestation of the building up of the body of Christ. Therefore, if they had more than a little strength, it would not really be the bride. Why? Because the bride is the body of Christ full of all the little indispensable members that are necessary that God bestows more abundant honor upon. See, that is the recovery. That is the recovery. You see, it is the recovery of the priesthood of who? Of, of the little guys. You see, the little guys in God's economy become the big guys. Okay? And the big guys only served a role in church history to get to the point that all of the people could be perfected to do the work of ministry to what? Build up the body of Christ. Saints, this is our cargo. This is our message. But it's not fully our reality. We need to pray and be very concerned and exercise to what? Until we all, Paul says in that same section, till we all arrive. Till we all arrive, you see, at this kind of full-grown man. He will do it. He has done it. There's been a lot of progress. In the same line, I remember uh, when I was still in, in school, uh, and Brother Lee paid uh, us a visit because he was a lot freer in those days, and uh, we always were anxious to have him. So he came to Waco where, where we were in school, and, you know, the church there was only 10 or 12 of us, and, of course, we got Brother Lee all to ourselves, right? And so he came and was casual. And so uh, uh, my a very good friend on the campus, I've mentioned his name before, he was basically the camp, the spiritual campus leader uh, in, on, on the campus who is now the head of the uh, Southern Baptist uh, section that's... Uh, <laughs> causing uh, all the protesting against the status quo. He's very big name, okay? A mega church pastor in Atlanta. Uh, when he was, you know, he's, he's a year older than I am, so we, we were good friends. We had many times of prayer and fellowship together. So we invited him over. Uh, himself, me, Benson, and Brother Lee were all together, something like that. Uh, anyways, something like that. And you know what his question was? He asked Brother Lee a question. This is a very good brother. I love him very much. Still do. Uh, I hope he feels the same about me. Uh, he, said, he said, why is it, Brother Lee, and by this time Brother Lee hadn't gotten a lot of uh, persecution and didn't have a, his name hadn't been, uh, you know, 
downtrodden so much. So he was quite respected because, you know, Watchman Nee was so respected and he was so close to Watchman Nee for those 20 years. And, you know, and uh, so he asked him in all sincerity, why is it that uh, the Lord doesn't seem to be raising up? And I believe he used this word giants today because he had read all, he read all the uh, biographies. Uh, and uh, Brother Lee, of course, at that time, s said something which was new to us too. He said, you know, he told him simply, that's because today God does not need giants. This is not the day of giants. Today God is doing what? He's raising up his body. Just that simple answer, you see, he gave that brother. Well, uh, in a lot of people's eyes, maybe that brother is a giant. Uh, probably he would be considered a giant. Uh, but anyway, God is not raising up a giant. What he wants is a little strength. Consider this. Consider this. Uh, and this also I picked up just from y'all sharing. I think it's so solid. Saints, there's no doubt these people, and even some of them were martyred, burned at the stake. I didn't have time to go into the section on the persecution of the Jesuits. Okay, in some cases, whole villages, whole countrysides, uh, were massacred. In cases, in in some cases, people were massacred by the thousands, because they were they were Protestant communities. Okay, but nevertheless, they have their reward. Don't 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 ever doubt that they don't have their reward. They will walk with the Lord in white. Okay, uh, don't don't ever say we are not. Uh, we're, we consider ourselves the, and we don't have any regard for anybody else. No, no. There's there's a lot more safety in in the consideration of their uh, standing than when we consider ourselves. These people we know paid the price, and they got their. You can you you can believe me. They will get their reward. The the Lord's word is is faithful. Okay. Uh, yet. Our calling, our calling is not in, in the same situation, circumstance. We're under no fear of martyrdom, uh, of our physical body. Uh, and we're not called to really discover truth. Really, the discovery's already here. What we can do is we can fill it out. But we're not, we're not going to unearth something. There's nothing, nothing left to unearth. I mean, since the brethren took up the cause of... of, of of uh, recovering the truth of the Bible in 1820-something or other. Since those, since those days, there's nothing, there's nothing left. Now, we can clarify it, we can add to it, we can expand it, and we can improve the way we practice it, but we're not going to get some big revelation that's going to shock us all, such as, uh, did you know that there's not only one millennial kingdom, but there's two of them? <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen, okay? That's not going to happen. And if you miss the first one, you get a shot at the second one. I mean, it's not, it's not going to happen, okay? <laughs> you know, did you realize that there's another planet that God is working out another purpose? I mean, this is not going to happen, okay? It's nowhere to be found, okay? Uh, so our calling is not to discover anything, but our calling, and the calling in Philadelphia, as we'll see, is to is like somebody testified is hold fast. You don't need to you don't need to to get anything. You need to hold fast what you have. That means you you you've received it. It's been committed to you. 
I have, I, personally, me, Don Lee, I have discovered zero. Okay? Zero. Okay? And I know good and well I will not discover something. Okay? I don't have a discovery. I have never discovered any aspect of truth. That was not my portion. I was not raised up by God to contribute a revelation to the body of Christ. Okay? These men were. And they did. And others, many others. So we, we're just touching the surface here, okay, in, in this kind of short time. But they will be rewarded because they were faithful. Our reward is not to discover. Our reward is not the exciting part. Our reward is to hold it, to keep it, to hold fast, not to, not to compromise. If we're faithful, you see, if we're faithful to hold, to keep, then, then uh, we will receive the same reward they will. We'll, we'll be, uh, the Lord will say that we're worthy and we walk with Him in white because we are worthy, you see. This is our calling, saints. Do you realize in the age of the church, the calling now is to the, the ones who have a little strength. What is this? This is the regular brothers and sisters, not the giants, you see. Could you take on the whole church of Rome? No, you have to just wonder where this guy Martin Luther came from, right? How could he do it? But he did it, right? I, I, I wouldn't have risked it. I, I don't know. I just, uh, but God raised somebody up. He got his reward. He will get his reward. Our reward is not that way. But do you realize we get the very same reward if we'll just hold fast? Isn't this astounding? Amen. Uh, that was to me... Uh, very, very impressive. Then, uh, uh, one thing that was uh, impressive to me too is how these people were. These people were all the time fighting. You know how y'all testified one couldn't agree with another and so forth. This is a story. This is just history. Okay, it, it's, it's uh, church history is very much like secular history. It's just conflict after conflict. It, it's it's the things that touched off wars physically in the secular history is the same thing that touched off divisions in church history. Okay, they wouldn't fight. They wouldn't fight physically except in some of these early Reformation days. But they would fight by by dividing. And uh, in God's eyes, this this was. This was a, a tremendous loss, and in Satan's eyes, this was a tremendous victory, you see. So, uh, uh, you know, this kind of, this kind of uh, fighting was going on all the time. Uh, couldn't, they could not be won. Now, uh, if, you, if you check out this kind of thing, let me see if I can just make it clear to you. If you check it out, it went something like this. Okay. Uh, I can't draw a picture that would be most expressive, but let me. Okay, here is a recovery up to this level. Okay, and some people, some group, went this high. Okay, and then they plateaued out. The leader died. It became an organization. It churned away. The life was gone, but it it stayed. Okay, you follow me? That's history. Uh, that's even secular history, okay? Uh, it's, in, it's in other history books, not just church history. Okay, then some people, some other people, let's say, let's say uh, uh, the Lord went to somebody else and raised them up to go further. And so they took on the shoulders of here and they went further, okay? 
And here, uh, these people who would take a step further, they would always be persecuted. They always under, come under persecution. Now, the question I'm asking you, just think about it. Who are the persecutors of this next step forward? It's, this, it's the ones who came to this point. This point, you see, right here. They gave these people a rough time. The very ones who were persecuted for, from these people here turned around and persecuted these ones here. See, you wait until we get into the line of Philadelphia. And, and uh, I have one book especially. Scott tried to read it. I wouldn't finish it. The Rascal. I'll never trust him again, Scott. I, get, I have a book. It's called, it's called The Reformation. What's the name of it? The Reformation and His Stepchildren? Okay. The Stepchildren. Of the, anyway, these stepchildren are the ones the Reformation spun off. They had the reality much to a much greater extent, put it that way. And you know who persecuted them? Not the Catholic Church, but the reformers that they spun out of and wanted something even purer. Okay? So you see, it's like this. Then, then uh, when this would level off, plateau off here, you see, and then somebody else would be used to take another step forward, then who becomes, their, who becomes the one that gets on their case? You see, this goes on, this goes on, okay, and on uh, throughout church history. And uh, it's like, it's like uh, when you go to the beach, all of you have been probably to the beach, and a wave comes in, you see, and behind that, some yards behind that, out there, you see another wave forming and coming in. That wave is going to be met, the resistance is going to meet that wave coming in from, what, from where? From the, from the previous wave on its way out. You see, that's the one that's blocking the wave coming in, is the previous wave going out. Why is this? Think about it. Well, inside man, inside the flesh, there is this thing called pride. And the fact that you, at one time, were in the forefront of God's move on earth, you see, and yet the Lord went somewhere else and, and at that time, you got, you got the opportunity. God never just gave up. If you were willing, He would have continued with you. You see? But if you were not willing and you leveled off there and the Lord wanted to go on, but you, you, wouldn't, uh, you, you lost your flexibility. You, see, you got satisfied. In other words, Philadelphia fell into Laodicea. That's what really the case. Then, you see, because you see some, somebody else going on, this is where the enemy stirs up the flesh and uh, the outgoing wave persecutes the incoming wave. And this is, this is the case of church history. You see? Uh, we're not going. If we're faithful, we're not going to get static from people at a great distance. We're going to get a static from people who, in many cases, uh, would sound uh, quite advanced in spiritual, you know, uh, concepts. Nominal people are not going to bother us, but the ones who are more advanced spiritually but nevertheless feel that we are making waves are the ones who are going to be the most troublesome to us. And if we end up with a Laodicean spirit, see Kevin don't ever think, see what you were testifying tonight was, was in essence you could boil it down to say Lord don't let me fall into Laodicea. That's what you were saying. Did you know that? 
In other words, well, you were you just it was one big say. You just you know, Lord have mercy that we could, uh, you know, be faithful and so forth. This means and never consider we've arrived kind of attitude. That's that's the Philadelphia spirit. If you lose that, you lay out of sea. Lay out of sea. says I have arrived. Philadelphia says I have not arrived. Paul said I have not arrived. Right. Okay, remember this. The trouble will come from the close quarters. The close ones. And you'll wonder, how can this be? This is the nature of it. I have to tell you, this is history. And don't expect it to change. It's history based on human nature. Okay. Uh, then, finally, uh, another point that I th- was uh, very impressed by is... Uh, you know, uh, uh, some of you who may not have been much had much exposure in a denominational uh, situation, you may not realize it, but in fundamental denominations, you know what they like to do. To tell you the truth, they like to they like to they like to belittle themselves. Okay, they're all the time knocking themselves. They're all the time, the, the, especially the preachers, are all the time preaching against uh, the, the, the uh, backsliding, the low situation, the low morale, the sinful living, the lack of uh, being faithful uh, to the church, the lack of uh, paying money, the lack of... Uh, they're always pointing out, their whole life is pointing out shortages and rebuking. You see, and and uh, you know, 75% is is exposure, and only 25% has got some meat in it. You see, maybe that's a real exaggeration. Maybe it's more like 90 and 10. Okay, it's just it's just this is why they have to have revivals because everybody's so low. So they have revivals all the time. You see, this is in the fundamental branch of of these uh, reformed churches. You know what? Two things. How is it that they can rail on themselves so much? And you know, we wouldn't do this. We wouldn't rail on, on, on the people. We, we don't do this. All we, all we uh, quote, rail on is the situation. We must not allow ourselves to be like that. Not like a certain person, but like a certain system. There's a big difference between whether you condemn a person or whether you condemn a system. Only God can condemn a person. But, but we can condemn a system. That's okay. God condemns it. We should. That's, that's the purpose of these epistles is to stay out of these kind of things, you see. But anyway, isn't it amazing that they can, they can do all the railing? But we even rail, not, e- not even in the same nature or line that they do. And, and this puts us, this makes us really the, the very uh, evil, black, wicked, negative people. But this is their living. They do it day in and day out, but we just do it occasionally. And uh, boy, if it ever gets into print, that's clipped out and, and blown up and, and uh, you know, mailed to anybody that would uh, like to see it. You see, it's amazing like this. You know what? We need to learn a lesson here. It's easy to be negative. It's easy to be negative. You see, to have a negative, a ministry of negativity is easy because why? Everybody can see faults. Everybody can see faults. You just live around anybody long enough. You don't even have to be saved. You can you can give messages on on problems and criticism. But the test is: Do you have a ministry of of Christ 
that will give, bring people life. If you have that, if you have that, then this is, this is what you need. The, the positive ministry of Christ and God's eternal purpose in and of itself exposes the situation for the most part. And only occasionally do you need to point some things out on special occasions, like what we're doing here, a special day for a special section of the Bible for Sardis. If you don't explain it, then it's just there uh, as a mystery. That's fine. But this is not our ministry. This is just uh, a series, you see. Our ministry is to have something positive. And then that positive thing, if you ever go, even you don't know so much. You just go somewhere. Somebody shared they went to uh, some place and... Uh, uh, they had it was I think it was Chris. He said even even everybody left, the thing would still operate. You see, well, there's a lot to this. These things do operate like this. You see, uh, <laughs> everything's in place, whether the spirit was there or not there. Not only do they not know, but in most cases they really don't care. It's just a, some aspect of their overall American life, and they give it its due, and they are they, they, then they lead their own life. You follow what I'm saying? This is not Philadelphia. This is Sardis. This is Sardis, right? Okay. Uh, now, uh, with uh, the time left, which we have, uh, we can stay here at 8:45. Uh, we can have a, a little time for questions and, th and then we'll knock it off, okay? So if y'all would like to have some questions, maybe about some things of the Reformation that we didn't have time to get into or some are just general, whatever is okay. So we'll see if you have anything like that. Okay, the trumpet player. Okay. I'll make it real short. In one of these large fields where John Wesley went to uh, preach, you see, and, and uh, not John Wesley, this was Whitfield, went to preach. Uh, this guy, he was anti-God he was anti, he was anti uh, and so forth, and he didn't want any of this newfangled uh, Reformed evangelism, okay? And Whitfield was an impassioned preacher, like I said, and uh, he, you know, he had a booming voice, which you'd have to have to hit 20,000 people, right? But that was max. I would say more like, they would be more like uh, five or 10,000 people. That's still a lot of people. And so they would preach in these, you know, just out in these big fields and either on a hill or they'd make a platform or something like that. And people would be praying. This guy w determined that he would take his trumpet and go and every time something, and go right up toward the front. And when Whitfield would try to uh, speak, he would blow his trumpet and just drowned out whatever he was saying. Okay, so this guy, this guy took his trumpet. Did I, did I tell you this before? No. Okay, well, I don't know what. And, and so he went there and he, he took his trumpet with him and, he, you know, he didn't, didn't want to make it obvious so he just kind of took his trumpet with him. And he walked and he got close to the front and, and was early and waiting for the crowds to come and at a certain time, you know, had been appointed for them to come and people flocked in and they just crammed to the front and he was caught you know, on all sides with people pressed on all sides to the extent he could not even raise his arm. <laughs> and, and, and so he had to sit there and he, had, he was close and he had to listen to the whole gospel message. And the guy got so convicted by the Spirit that he fainted. 
And after, and, a, and so after it, after it was over, they carried him into a nearby house, you know, so he could he could be recovered. And uh, they went and told uh, uh, George Whitfield what had happened. So George Whitfield went over, and the guy, of course, recovered and so forth. And in uh, uh, you know, he talked. George Whitfield talked to him, of course, about the gospel. And the guy got saved there in the house uh, after after the gospel meeting. In the <laughs> Wild things would happen. I mean, people would make threats. You know, you go out in that field and, uh, you know, I mean, p gang leaders, uh, you know, we would call them and so forth. And uh, some of these guys would say, okay, okay, fine. Who's the leader of your gang? Who's the leader? And, you know, some real, you know, <laughs> you know, I'm the leader, you know. What? Okay. How about and 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 Whitfield would do this? Well, how, before you do whatever you're going to do, could can, can you and I come in and just you and I talk? And this would kind of and you know, of course, he doesn't want to look you know chicken in front of his friends, right? So yeah, I'll, okay, you know. And so Whitfield go in and he start so he start talking to the guy and he would start to preach the gospel to him, and and. Uh, you know, this guy got got saved, and he would go out and and uh, tell the other, you know, and, and some other of the gang would come in. They'd have another session, and they got saved, and they would go out and get some more of their friends, and they would come in. And so, before they even had the meetings out in the field, the, you know, the rascals of the town, they all got saved. <laughs> the revival started before the preaching even began in the fields. You don't think? Oh, it was a lot of unusual stories happened like this. A lot of stories. Okay, that's what I meant. Okay, something else? Who were some of the Greeks? Uh, what, was there any notable people like that? Uh, I don't know the names. Uh, by Greeks there, of course, you know, uh, most of you have studied enough uh, history to know that Greek was at one time, for a long time, the intellectual center of mankind. They first developed the, the great principles of philosophy regarding uh, government, even military strategies, uh, intellectualisms. Uh, they even had their own elaborate system of religion, things like that. They were just great thinkers. And, and uh, you know, the great men of Greece, whether it was uh, Aristotle, who Luther hated his philosophy, but he had to teach it because he was a doctor of philosophy at one time. He, uh, uh, the big ones, uh, Aristotle, Socrates, uh, Plato, and uh, Pericles would be considered a big one, uh, maybe those four. Anyway, these guys had tremendous uh, influence on, on Greek history and their thought, especially in the realm of government, their thought was far advanced. And so that transferred itself into Europe, and especially, you see, it transferred into Rome. You see, uh, the Roman Empire took this on even much even earlier, and developed this whole Roman system of government, the Roman Senate, and so forth. We're all patterned after that to some degree. You see, then I, when we developed our form of government in this country, we took, in a sense, it's 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 like Philadelphia. You take the best of every situation. You see. Uh, we, we were able to do that, and so this country has produced a, uh, for, for it being human, it's produced a very highly successful form of government, okay? Uh, but nevertheless, it's, it's still human and uh, subject to quite a bit of corruption. Okay? Um, I know, like, uh, 
in, in First Corinthians it talks about the Corinthians they were starting to say, "Well, I'm a Paul and I'm a Apollos and Cephas." Um, did Luther know at the time that people were starting to take his name, like calling themselves Lutherans and Calvinists and stuff like that? No, and uh, basically that did not happen during their lifetime. Uh, basically, all of the things that turned into organizations, like Wesley would not permit any of his disciples, these young men who he was trying to train to carry out the evangelical work, okay, like he, like he was doing. Uh, he was burdened for this. This is, a, a, this is a burden that really many men of God, as they got older, they realized they must give themselves for when they were no longer there or they were no longer able to be so active. Okay, He required them to stay in the Anglican church. You see, but they must conform to the standard that he set forth to be a member of the society that, uh, you know, uh, was these young men who would do who would do the, the ministry that he was doing. Uh, it wasn't until after he died that the separation came. And so somebody who would not who didn't have the authority to say it will be this way. I mean this is my baby. I can treat it like I want to. So when that when he left this opened the door gradually they could not take the confinement of the Anglican church. They broke away and they began to practice and meet in another vein. That was the seat of the Methodist church based on the methods that they had for holiness. Today uh, Methodism uh, uh, just in this century, actually, Methodism slid into humanism. Okay? And uh, it's not like last century. If you read the history of, of the 19th century, uh, to be a Methodist uh, almost was a guarantee that you uh, had strong exposure to the gospel and you probably got saved. What do you think would have been Luther's response to, uh, to the people calling themselves Lutherans now? Well, uh, I think there's no doubt that, that all of these guys, uh, and many we didn't mention, I mean, uh, Andrew Murray was an inner life person. Uh, when he died, they put a big statue up in uh, uh, Cape Town, South Africa, of him on, on one of the main streets, you see. And he was so esteemed and revered there as a missionary in South Africa that... Uh, you know, they, they, they made an idol out of him. I mean, he, would, he would flip. He, would, he himself would have gone and thrown stones at the thing, you see. But they did it after he died. I mean, that's it. Uh, how would you like to be Peter? Peter was a simple Galilean fisherman, and he became the head of the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> see? <laughs> of course, while he was alive, you know, he would have... He would have he wouldn't even have begun to think of anything. He would have fought anything like that. When anybody would try to lionize another person, just like Paul, uh, he, right away he would say he would say uh, something to to uh, put that down. You say uh, this why this why in Corinth to Corinth he said uh, you know uh, one says I am of Paul and I'm he said no 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 no. no. This is a chance to really esteem himself, but he would not take the chance. This is the right attitude of a, of a man of God.
No, the organization is, uh, put it this way, a ministry can continue if it's been put into another person. That's why Paul was burdened to put what he had into Timothy so he could commit it to faithful men so that they could teach others also. You read that, okay? Is that in First or Second Timothy? That's in First Timothy. Second Timothy. What? Three? Two, two? Okay. Uh, okay, if, if you see, if that was done, then that continued to the extent that it was in people and they were able to communicate it. Okay? But you cannot, you cannot perpetuate your person. You can perpetuate your ministry if you get it into somebody and you can perpetuate it to that degree. But you cannot perpetuate a person. That's why when the giants died off because they had not really perfected people much. They had converted a lot of people, but they had not perfected many people. Based on that, what developed quite rapidly was a lifeless organization after their death. Quite rapidly. You see? Why? Because the essence of what that man stood for, that he was able to give life along a certain line, that was gone, you see. Okay, you follow that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I didn't get into to these uh, people. This is from a part of England, of Europe at that time called Moravia. Okay, and this was a section there. Uh, you have to forget the way the countries are now, based on 500 years ago. But there was a section called Moravia. And there, these brethren, who were under the leadership of Count Zinzendorf, they were raised up and very strong in the, in the gospel. Plus, they were the forerunners to the Plymouth Brethren that were raised up in that they were the first ones to practice a corporate church life. And it was quite prevailing for a short period of time. Uh, in fact, it was, it was uh, in Moravia that, was it John Wesley or George Whitfield went there? John Wesley went to Moravia. Yes, it, because he, was, he got converted there and he was so interested. I mean, you know, this helped his conversion. He was so interested, he went and visited Moravia and he said, if, if, if my burden for England were not so heavy, I would stay in this place the rest of my life. He was so impressed there. Okay, there was a little haven of uh, pure... Uh, purity that was to a high extent versus everything around it. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, Moravia, because they were in the line of Philadelphia, we left it out because they really represent the beginning of Philadelphia. Moravian brethren. Not only were they strong in a corporate life in this little scale that they had, and we'll review this with Philadelphia, but they were also the most, the earliest group that were zealous to do missionary work. And so their young men went out all over the place. And that's what they were doing heading toward America and in transit. Okay? They were a real missionary-minded evangelical type people. 
Plus, they had uh, a recovery of the basic truths of evangelism and some other crucial truths, nothing like this last page, but enough that they had some corporate community life, not political, but just pure believers, okay? Uh, church life type thing. And uh, they... Uh, they they weren't they weren't great they weren't that long but what they had and while they had it was unique for the time and when the Plymouth Brethren came along they simply blew it up amplified it it was longer it was more pervasive and so forth and, and until they ran into the problems that caused them to lose the oneness which. Uh, ultimately was di- I mean when you diagnose it they would have they would have made it okay except for two things they didn't see clearly that you have to stick to God's economy and not let things become an issue issues came up number two they never saw the ground of the church therefore the brethren assemblies split 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 right Ruth in your background brethren no yeah is your background no Whose background is brethren? Huh? Their father was a uh, brethren minister. Wasn't your father? Your father was Lutheran or Lutheran. Okay, somebody I met somewhere else. Okay. Uh, hurry. Thing else. Okay. Now, what you need to do in the morning when you go to the uh, meeting hall is just lay back and relax and let the other saints fight the battle. Just don't concern yourself with being, you know, don't, I mean, you know what I mean. Just, just, just uh, relax and uh, do nothing, right? No, no, come. Have a bright spirit, a strong soul, and a wide awake body. Oh, no.